What is up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Blake Benz Podcast. Uh, we are enjoying the end of our week here, and as we are wrapping up, I thought I would put together another episode for uh, for the podcast and thought I would base it off of some things that I have seen in the news, particularly related, related to business. Anytime that I am doing work or just, uh, frankly, as I'm just like going through Reddit or social media or, or what have you, and uh, as I see these different business stories get posted, I'm always uh, snapping a pic or saving it to a folder on my computer for me to look at later. Because there's some pretty great examples of businesses that are doing really great stuff, as well as plenty of great examples of businesses that are doing really dumb stuff, right? And uh, specifically, I was talking with, I was working with some entrepreneurs, and this probably would have been maybe in December, and we were talking about this conversation of, you know, what does it really mean to get good customers and get customers who really want to uh, work for you. They want to, and that's right, I didn't misspeak there. They want to work for you. They want to bring people to you. They want to help you out. Um, you know, what does it mean to really get customers who are really great customers? And I think I'm going to call this podcast something about your 1,000 true fans because in 2009, this guy, I think his name is something Kelly, uh, he put together an article that talked about to have a wildly profitable business, you actually don't need millions of people to be your customers. You really only need 1,000 true fans, 1,000 people who they deeply, truly believe in what you're offering and they really care about it, right? In fact, I was talking with a guy last week, uh, he's a marketer, and he was talking about this this marketing guru that he follows and how his company's doing really well, by the way, uh, and he, he's done something like $75,000 in sales in only six months, so he's he's doing really well for himself. And he was talking about this marketing guru that he really likes, and he was saying, yeah, we're already preparing the $20,000 to go to this marketing guru's conference, and I was like, dude, yikes, that is a lot of money. You know, like you're really going to spend 20 grand to go to this guy's conference. And he was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this guy spends that. He charges thousands of dollars per day just for you to be in the same room as him. And so we're talking about it and I wasn't knocking the guy at all. I was like, man, that's, that's just, that's great for this guru to have figured this, this whole model out. But I was asking about the people who also go to this conference and he was like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's people who, you know, kind of drink up everything this guy says. And this guy really does. I mean, using his concepts is how we created this, this company where we've had $75,000 in sales in only six months. I mean, it actually works, right? I mean, it, this guy has a proven method, so I'm willing to spend 20 grand if it means that it's going to get me to half a million dollars, right? Well, so we're talking about it and we're talking about kind of this concept of your 1000 true fans. You know, what does it mean to really have people who love your business? They love what you offer. Anytime you get mentioned, they're like, Oh my gosh, I love Yeah, That's phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean, these are the people who they're doing kind of the free marketing for you, right? I mean, you're not actually paying for them to do this for you. It's just whenever it gets brought up, they're like, yes, love that company. And the wording that my friend, the marketer used was he was like, you know, you're almost kind of creating this cult, right? I mean, not, not literally a cult, but it's almost like this cult like following that businesses, when they do it well, they have these rabid fans where, you know, if someone ever challenges them, it's, 
the, you know, the fans are the first ones there to stand up and defend them. And I was thinking about what example I wanted to use today. And I was actually going through that folder of business examples. And I came across a fast food restaurant and this fast food restaurant, what I had saved on my computer, it was a video that was posted on the internet just a couple of days ago. And you can probably find it actually. It's a video of a fast food employee who they had someone come through the drive-thru and I guess they had like a the person had ordered a milkshake or a drink or something and uh, bottom line, the customer didn't get that drink. Now the customer then drove off not realizing that, oh yeah, I didn't get my milkshake. Well, the customer has driven out of the parking lot. They're driving down the street and the video that got posted, it's someone on their, they're, they're filming on their phone of this fast food employee booking it down the street with the drink in hand, trying to give it to this customer. And and this guy actually, he, the customer has to take like this, this roundabout road. And so the employee is able to cut across and catch this customer. And you see the car just kind of pull over and the customer comes over and the window rolls down. He's, he's like, Oh, here's your drink. And, <laughs> and it starts running. And this guy's like, you know, 40 yards away. I mean, it's not like right outside the store. I mean, it's down the road. And I just thought about, man, what a great way for a customer to be a massive fan of your business, right? I mean, this employee has just has just ran down the road to get me my drink, right? Well, if you're wondering what this fast food restaurant is, you can probably already guess. It is the epitome of good fast food service uh, in the entire industry, and it is known as no other than Chick-fil-A, Now, everybody loves Chick-fil-A. Well, I shouldn't say that, actually. You know what's really funny about Chick-fil-A is sometimes I'll I'll talk about Chick-fil-A in business circles, or maybe I'm working with the company and we're actually talking about how to serve customers well. I've realized that sometimes when I mention Chick-fil-A, you have have just as many haters for Chick-fil-A as you do people who love it. But if you want to inspire a crowd to revolt against you any quicker... Find a group of rabid Chick-fil-A fans and say something bad about that business. You know, hey, I don't really like the chicken sandwich much. And you'll find people who say things like, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> how dare you say that about my beloved Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, there's people who, who they, frankly, they worship Chick-fil-A, right? It's like every day, it's like, yes, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. Yes, I love Chick-fil-A. Now, I'm, I'm not knocking Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. I really do love Chick-fil-A. But Chick-fil-A has cornered the market on what does it mean to serve customers well. In fact, this and this just kind of blows my mind to think about this. A friend of mine, he was telling me a story of a conversation he had with a an owner, an operator of one of the Chick-fil-A stores. And as he describes the story, this operator of the Chick-fil-A store was saying that during the lunch rush, they'll have 100 cars per hour. I mean, people who will just line up and wait to get through this line to get their Chick-fil-A food. But the owner said that what's not actually totally uh, surprising, it, it isn't the number of people who come through that line. What's actually surprising is that people will wait in that line during the rush hour and all they will order is a Diet Coke. So let that sit in for a second. (laughs) 
Your fans love you so much that they will wait in line for 10 minutes, which I don't know if Chick-fil-A, does the line ever even take 10 minutes? Who knows? They'll wait in line for 10 minutes to get a Diet Coke. Now, we all know it's the same Diet Coke you could get anywhere else, right? In fact, my wife and I, sometimes when we go to Chick-fil-A, there's a Sonic literally right next door. And sometimes as we're driving up Chick-fil-A, we'll play this little game where we say, how many cars do you think is that Sonic? You know, how many cars do you think is going to be there? And she might say, oh, but there's going to be two there. I bet there's going to be three there. And we, as we're pulling into Chick-fil-A, we look over to Sonic and sure enough, there's only one or two cars actually in uh, at Sonic. Now it's the same Diet Coke. I could get it much easier going over to Sonic, but for some reason you have people who they love Chick-fil-A so much that they'll even, they'll wait in the line for 10 minutes just to get that Diet Coke, right? In fact, I think about my own life. I remember one time I was picking up Chick-fil-A. I'll tell you two quick stories, actually. One time I was picking up, uh, I was going through the drive-thru and I was picking up some food. I was picking up some food for my wife because I'm a good husband like that. And the cashier starts making conversation with me and she's asking what's going on. And uh, and on this particular day, it was my wife's birthday. My wife loves, she loves Chick-fil-A and she also loves Chick-fil-A sauce, which by the way, I'm a recent convert to Chick-fil-A sauce. I'm like, where have I been? Where has this been my whole life? What have I been doing? Well, so I tell the cashier, I'm like, oh yeah, it's my wife's birthday today. And she's like, oh, that's so great. You know, what are you guys going to do? Whatever. Well, as I'm driving off, she goes, tell your wife happy birthday for me. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, because my wife, <laughs> hey, hey, honey, the Chick-fil-A employee says happy birthday, right? Now, it's kind of silly, but but also that says a lot about the kind of people who work at Chick-fil-A, right? Another quick example, I remember my uh, wife actually had a bad experience at Chick-fil-A, and she was, this is back when I was in school full-time for my doctorate, and she she was picking me up from from my class, and I was I was driving us home, and she's telling me about this bad interaction she's had at Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A, I think, closes at like 9 o'clock or 9.30. Well, it's like 10.30 at night. Well, I pull a U-turn in the road and start driving to this Chick-fil-A, and she's like, what are you doing? What are we doing? And I'm like, this, this isn't right. This is messed up. You know, Chick-fil-A is better than this. So I pull up. You know, I bang on the door. I'm like that totally obnoxious customer. And... A employee comes out, opens the door, and they don't say like, what do you want? Hey, we're closed. Hey, get out of here. The, customer, the, the employee says, oh, hey, please come inside. How are you? What's going on? And I say, I want to talk to the manager. Manager comes over. And we get it resolved in a heartbeat, right? And, and even telling the story, I'm sure I sound like a totally, <laughs> a totally uh, entitled customer. But I was just so annoyed at the story she was telling me. I was like, this is not Chick-fil-A came to find out big misunderstanding the manager was like really sorry didn't want it to come across that way really apologize and they were so gracious about the whole thing that I was like man this is why you guys are the number one fast food restaurant in our area this is why you guys are making one to three million dollars per day right and see it's it's because they really get it they totally understand what does it mean to treat your customers well and I think sometimes the way we get it wrong is is we don't understand this this very basic concept of, and you've you've heard it before. It's it's quality over quantity. And sometimes, especially as I'm talking with business owners who they're trying to grow and scale their business quickly, they don't understand that you don't necessarily need to get dozens, hundreds, thousands of customers. You just have to do a really great job with the customers you already have. 
You just have to do a phenomenal job and give them a level of service that separates you from everyone else. And what I love about Chick-fil-A, what's so great about Chick-fil-A is they did not let their industry dictate their level of customer service. And here's what I mean by this. It's fast food. It's not gourmet eating, right? So whenever you go to a fast food restaurant, you're not you're not expecting to get pampered, right? It's kind of like it's kind of like whenever I go to Waffle House, uh, which is delicious, by the way. Anytime I go to a Waffle House, I'm not expecting the floor to be clean. And so if I go to a, I remember actually years ago, my mom and I went to a Waffle House, and she said she was laughing about you know the floors are so dirty, and I go exactly. I said yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> it adds flavor to your food, you know. And so the fast food industry, you know, you're not expecting it to really be that great. And yet Chick-fil-A basically set the standard and said, you know what? We're not going to let the industry dictate our level of service to our customers. I think if we if we cross this over to another industry, the movie rental business, Blockbuster was, it, they're, the, they're the ones who fell into the same trap of the industry, right? You had, you had businesses, you had rental stores that were charging late fees. Uh, in fact, for the case of Blockbuster, they were, their whole business model actually was something like 70% of their, their uh, biggest uh, revenue gainers were in the form of uh, uh, late fees. And so you basically had this company that based their whole model on how do I screw over the customer, right? And then Netflix came along and said, you know what, we're going to transform the movie rental business and we're going to do it with no fees and we're going to do it out of the best interest of the customer. We're not going to let the industry dictate the way we serve our customers. And as we can see, Netflix rose above Blockbuster and actually bankrupted Blockbuster. And in the same way, we're seeing Chick-fil-A. It's not just this fluffy thing. Chick-fil-A, it's a $9 billion company. They've doubled their sales in only something like four or five years. But yet, a lot of business owners do not understand this concept. In fact, uh, they they often can take a very cynical approach to their customers or a very ego-driven approach to customers. I was talking with someone who was working for a business, and they had done something genuinely genuinely wrong against a customer. And it wasn't necessarily malicious. It just they they did not have the customer's best interest in mind. And the owner just in this proud, egotistical way, just declares, well, if they don't like it, they can go to one of our competitors. And it's kind of like, yeah, they will. They are. <laughs> They're going to. You know? That's but but it's 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 amazing how owners kind of take this stance where once you get a little bit of a little bit of success, it's like now we have to vet all of our customers and treat them a certain way rather than just assuming every person's deserving of this great respect, every person's deserving of this customer service. And it's kind of like, you know, if if I really if I really break this down and, and think about it, it makes me think of one guy I was talking to a guy, this probably would have been maybe 4 or 5 months ago, and he he runs a pet store. And, uh, he had a woman who, uh, and I don't, I don't really know the full details. I can't really remember the full details. I can't remember if she had like, you know, 12 cats or if she was running like her own little pet thing on the side, but basically she ordered something like $250 worth of pet food from this pet store owner. And the drama came about where he shipped all this pet food, but it didn't come with like any kind of, of, um, Think of like protein powder. It was kind of like that. And you know how protein powder has like the little the little scoops in it? 
Well, apparently this product, you also can get these little scoopers that will scoop out the food. Well, the customer ends up calling the business owner and and is pretty upset because this $250 worth of powder food, whatever, came without any scoopers of any kind whatsoever. And so I'm talking to the guy and he's, he's trying to get some advice and he's like, you know, should I, should I hold my ground and should I tell her, well, I'm sorry, but you didn't pay for those scoopers or should I just, should I just send the scoopers? And I said, well, what do, what do the scoopers cost? And he says, well, for the $250 worth of food, the scoopers would be, I don't know, like six bucks. And I'm just thinking like, man, man. And even you, as you're listening, you're thinking like, this is a no brainer. This is a total no brainer. <laughs> And I say, bro, send the scoopers. Like, come on. It's $6. And now you have a customer who's annoyed at you, who's taking time out of her day to have to complain to you when if you flip it, instead of being egotistical or being cynical, you have a customer who's spending a ton of money on you. It's time to be ultimately gracious, be kind to them, and go overboard to create someone who is a raving fan. I'm thinking of, I mean, I and, and here's what's really exciting too when you really grasp this concept is that when you learn how to make raving fans, those raving fans will go on and tell other people about you and your business, right? It's like I was at Chick-fil-A the other day and someone came in, she was real, she was smiling really big and she just declared to the cashier, this is my first time at Chick-fil-A. My, you know, my friends keep talking about it, which I don't know how you get to this point and still not have been to a Chick-fil-A, but I've never gone into a McDonald's and said that. You know, I've never gone into a Wendy's or a Taco Bell and just declared, it's my first time here. Oh yeah, this is great. I've never gone into a Subway and just been so excited about it. But a friend of mine, she just got a dog and she was, she actually got two dogs and she was telling me about a, a pet company. Um, oh, Chewy, Chewy.com. So check out Chewy.com. And she was telling me about how she had ordered something like $150 worth of like, um, pet supplies, a kennel, stuff like that for these two dogs she just got. Well, what ended up happening is the two dogs did not get along and long story short, it was really hard, but she had to actually give one of those dogs away. Well, so she's calling Chewy. It's been like four days. She's in tears. She's crying. I mean, she's she's feeling totally just, just you know, crumpled by having to give away one of these two dogs. And she calls Chewy and says, is there any way that I can send back this kennel and these supplies and get some of my money back? Well, Chewy, Chewy just blatantly says, you know what? We're going to refund you the whole order, not, not just the part that you needed for your other dog. We're going to refund the whole order. And you know what? You don't even have to ship it back to us. Just go donate it to a local shelter. And she's telling me this story. And she's like, I don't even know how they're making money because she was saying how she went through all the reviews on the website. And apparently this isn't, this isn't like a one-time deal. Apparently this company does this a lot where they trust their customers and they, and they consistently say things like, just give it to a shelter, keep it, whatever. We're going to refund it. And it's, if in some ways it's what we've come to know to be the norm with like Amazon, right? Anytime you get on Amazon customer support, I have, I have maybe one time not have them fix something for me. Right. I mean, they, they go over and beyond trying to solve my issues. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, I will forever swear off Dell computers, by the way. I despise, there's like four companies that I will never shop at ever in my entire life. One of them's Best Buy, one is Dell, and I can't remember the other two right now, but I'm sure, I'm sure later I'll have some nightmare and it'll come to my mind. But so, uh, Best Buy, or excuse me, Dell, I don't want to, I'll yell about Best Buy later. 
Dell, a friend of mine, had ordered a computer from Dell, one of those pre-made computers, and it didn't work from day one. And the way it didn't work was that he would be on the computer, and after about half an hour, the computer would just turn off, which was really obnoxious. It was really frustrating. And uh, long story short, Dell kept sending out repair people, could not fix it. And then finally, he was like, I just want to refund it. I don't want it anymore. And they say, ooh, sorry, it's been over 14 days. Or it's been over 30 days. Ooh, sorry. It's actually past our refund policy. And he's furious. I mean, he's thinking like, he's thinking, how dare you? <laughs> he's thinking, I've been trying to refund this thing, but you guys kept insisting on sending out repair people and it's still not working. Like, what What the heck? What? What's going on here? Well, so he has to basically go to battle with Dell. And after like three months, they finally just say, look, we've replaced, we've replaced everything. We don't know why it's not working. There's nothing else we can do. And he's just, he's just furious about it. Well, he bought it through amazon.com. So he opens a chat with Amazon and says, here's what's going on. I know this is totally nonsensical. I bought it three months ago and I, I, it doesn't work and I get it. I know this sounds nuts, but I'm just at the end of my rope here. And Amazon says, you know what? We'll refund half of it. We'll give you half of your money back. Now, Amazon has no liability in any of this. But because they're so addicted to giving customers a great experience, this person was willing to refund half the money for a Dell product that he had had for over three months. See, some companies, they just they understand how to treat customers well. And because of that, look at how many people love Amazon, how many people are rabid fans of Amazon, right? Sorry, Walmart. You don't hear people saying that about Walmart. You know, I'm sorry, but you don't. I live in Walmart world, in Walmart country, and unfortunately, you just don't hear people saying that about their Walmart experience. Now, talking about this more and understanding this more, it's, it's, it's again, it's amazing how people miss this concept. There, and, and I think it's because people do not understand the long-term versus the short-term. You know, there's very much this long game you have to play with your customers, and I don't mean that in a cunning way. I mean that in a... There is a, a visibility you have to have with your customers long term to understand how one customer that you serve well over the course of a year will be enormously more profitable than a customer that you serve and ditch in a week or in a few days. Another way to think of that, I was working with a guy who uh, he runs a construction business. He does in-home. Uh, he builds, he builds uh, what's it called? Um neighborhoods, uh, whatever it's called, you know, the, the little communities where you have plenty of houses, they're all part of that little neighborhood. So he, he gets neighborhoods like that. And he also does in-home uh, construction as well, where he'll repair someone's like kitchen or, or do a makeover of someone's like, I don't know, just r- random stuff like that. So, well, he was saying that on average, every customer, the marketing he spends, the cost per lead, or rather the cost per conversion, the people that actually end up booking with him is something like, I don't know, maybe it's like $800, $900. Now he's making a lot more of that on the whole project, but he's also spending a lot for marketing. And so he comes to me and he says, I have this idea. I want to, a lot of my business actually is word of mouth. And so I want to give my my uh, people who who talk about me, I want to give them something like I don't know some kind of referral bonus for them to uh, and to incentivize them and thank them for sending business to my way. He asked me, "What do you think about it?" I go, "Well, how much are you thinking about giving away?" And he says, "I'm thinking about actually for someone who closes a contract, I'm thinking about sending a signer's fee or or a referral a referral bonus of three hundred dollars." And he says, "Is that too much?" 
And I go, no, not at all, right? I mean, you're spending $800 to $900 on your marketing budget getting getting each one of these leads. For a third of that, you can get something guaranteed. And frankly, it's probably going to be a much more powerful referral because it's through someone they know, right? But a lot of business owners are like, well, I could never do that. I could never give away a referral bonus. Only again, because we are not, we, we struggle sometimes to be long-term thinkers versus short-term thinkers. So as we, as we think about this, as we continue to apply this to our own businesses, don't miss opportunities to really build your raving fans. Now, this concept isn't just about external customers. I think what's really cool about this is that it actually applies to internal customers or <laughs> internal customers, internal employees as well. See, people, whenever we're part of a culture where we feel valued, where we feel like that we're cared for, where we feel like we're important, these are all the same things that a raving fan customer would feel. When an employee feels this way, they go way over the top for their company. It's kind of like when you think about Sunday night, you know, the final hours before you start the work week. There's people out there who on a Sunday night, they are in agony. They are in angst because they are thinking of, oh man, I have to go to work tomorrow. Oh, I have to go see my boss again tomorrow. Man, I hate that guy. Man, that guy's a jerk. You know, they're thinking these things through. And then there's other people, and I'm not BSing you. This is not out of a, a kid's storybook. This, this is what you see in incredibly healthy cultures. You have people on Sunday night who are wringing their hands in excitement thinking, man, I can't wait to get to work tomorrow. Man, I can't wait to go see this client tomorrow. Man, I can't wait to go do this job tomorrow. Now, it's not naive. It's that you have people who, based on their sense of value in the workplace, their production and output changes. And so these are the employees who they are totally loyal to their business. They love telling people about their business. I think about it in terms of, I remember there were people at, I think of two companies local to me, one's multi-craft contractors and the other one is uh, Lazy Boy Furniture. And whenever I was working with people from these companies, there was so much pride around their company. Compare that to some other companies in my area that shall not be named where I talk to the employees and it's like, oh my gosh, I hate this place. And then I talk to other people who work at that same company and they're all saying the same thing. I hate working here. I hate it. And frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the first opportunity out of here. Now, the reason this is a problem from, a, from, again, when we're talking long game versus short game, the reason this is a problem is that the average cost, and this is from the, the Department of Labor, uh, or Bureau of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics. I don't know. The, the problem with this is that the cost to replace an employee is at the minimum around $10,000. And as you scale up that person's expertise, position, whatever, you get into numbers like twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to replace someone. You're thinking about all the time and training you've put into someone, maybe maybe certifications, maybe licenses you've helped a person get on the job. And now you have this person who's moved on and you have to spend time now finding someone, hiring process, retraining, recertifying, whatever, just to get someone functioning in that position again. So the cost of a hire that doesn't work out can actually be pretty detrimental to your business. Now, Often what typically happens when I talk to business owners 
is whenever they have a problem with their employee, chances are the problem is not the employee. So whenever someone comes to me and says, I have a B team player, I have a C team player, I have someone who I feel like is a bad hire, typically they aren't actually a bad hire. Typically it's a boss who's running a company who does not comprehend how to treat their employees well. And I talked about this in my last episode of my podcast of, for example, you have the guy running the software company or the the at home, excuse me, the uh, the uh, remote company where everybody's remote, and they've tripled the revenue for the business in the last six months. Tripled the revenue, and the way he wants to reward them is by doing a an at home inspection tour of everybody's house. I mean, think about how how psychotic nonsensical, dumb that is, right? And what that then communicates to the value of an employee or a friend of mine, she was working for one company where she was hired for this director level role where she's managing some really important things. And it gets to the point where it's time for her to make a call on a decision. And the boss brings her in and says, why did you make this decision? And she says, well, I mean, that's part of my job, right? I mean, you want, don't you want me to have the freedom to make this decision? And she goes, yes and no. Yes, it's part of your job description, but no, I don't want you to make that decision. She goes, okay, well, I'm confused. (laughs) Why did you hire me for this if you don't want me to do it? And she says, well, it's because you haven't earned my trust yet. I'm somebody who I believe that everyone has to earn my trust. And so until you earn my trust, we're going to have a three-month waiting period or a six-month waiting period where you build up your right to those decisions where I fully trust you. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what a maniac. Seriously, what an, what an ego-driven, nonsensical boss who, who frankly isn't building 1,000 screaming fans. You're building people who cannot wait to find the door and then you're frustrated thinking, why can't I find good employees? You're frustrated because you can't find a yes man who just says yes and does everything that you want. And, and it's because people, think, think of it this way. The best people to leave a company, or rather I should say it this way, the first people to leave a company are always the best employees. Why is it the best employees? Because they know they can get a job anywhere else. They know they can find a job anywhere else. And so they're not going to wait around. They're not going to wait for the door. They know they're hireable. And so they're going to force their way out of there as fast as possible. And the irony to all of this is that these are the most productive people for your business. They Again, these are the people who typically would love working for your business. They would love doing great things for you, but instead they are mismanaged, they're undervalued, they're underpaid a lot of times, and they're not cared for. And so rather than developing a screaming, raving fan, you find someone who was burned by you, right? Are they, you know, whenever your company gets brought up, they say, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you what, I, what happened to me when I worked there, Right. And just like whenever you build external screaming fans, you know, just like with Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A has no problem from a marketing perspective getting people to come to their stores. I mean, it's so ridiculous that whenever they open a new restaurant, people will camp out for like three days to be one of the first customers in there, right? Now they're getting like, what is it, free chicken sandwiches for a year or something or for life, I don't know. But the fact, McDonald's has opened new stores. I don't know anybody who's camped out for a McDonald's. So it's not just about sustaining your company from an external perspective of like guaranteeing that customer, that customer flow to your, to your store. It's also understanding that when you look at people who love your company, they're going to produce 
10 times more than anyone else in that company. It's kind of like Gallup put out a, a PDF uh, study, really, I think it was last, uh, maybe it was uh, summer 2017. I think they do this every year, but the one I was looking at was 2017. And they were talking about the state of the workplace and was talking about how there's there's engaged employees, there's just meh employees, you know, they're just there, and then you have disengaged employees. Well, the engaged employees will produce 10 times the revenue of the other two groups. The disengaged employees will cost more than either of the other groups. They will cost more in terms of lost revenue and just the cost to replace them. And so from a sustainability standpoint, there's a real true metric related to your revenue as a business and the people that you take care of in your business, right? It's kind of like, you know, when you think about what are the things that are really important to your business, the things that are really important are taking care of your customers, right? The things that aren't so important are the ways that we totally micromanage or constrain or constrict our employees to make them, to make them do things a certain way. And I get a lot of this is counterculture. I I get it. You know, there's people out there who it's like, you know, I have a nine to five employee. I have to get as much as I can from that nine to five employee. And I'm coming from the bias of, I really feel like the nine to five is dead. I mean, I really feel like we're going to see the work culture. And I'm I'm not saying that people won't work from nine to five. I'm not saying we won't have a full work day for people. I mean, I work from home. Uh, I do not have a, a, anyone forcing a nine to five for me, but I have an absolute full work day, uh, regardless. So I'm not talking about people who will work or not work. I'm talking about this sort of widget model where you have your employees and they're just producing, you know, they're like, it's like they are part of the assembly line of producing something for your company. And there's such a, you know, when someone acts out or doesn't get the desired result, you know, we kind of pull the lever or we replace them or we, we, we try to fix that because it doesn't work for our model. Right. It's kind of like a friend of mine. He's an engineer. And I think I've told the story. He's an engineer, a really phenomenal engineer, does a great job. Well, around three o'clock in the afternoon, his boss will create fake work, like meaningless work just to make sure he stays productive. And I'm like, man, you are burning out your engineer. I mean, you're screwing over. This guy's going to be looking for another job because he's going to have another boss who really appreciates him and treats him differently than someone who will just make up meaningless work to keep people productive. But see, that's what we do whenever we're stuck in this nine to five widget mentality, right? Ultimately, it's our responsibility as business owners to internally create those fans and also externally take care of those people, those customers. There are too many, and and, and I think what blows my mind is that there's just, these are such simple concepts. Like this is, none of this is like, oh my gosh, I've never thought of this. There's such simple concepts, and yet there are so many businesses where this is foreign, where this is just like, nah, I don't really want to do that, or you know, I mean, I I was reading about Target today and Target is in big trouble right now because their mobile app, so this is the app that you open on your phone to see what products are in the store. Well, basically, if you've ever done any kind of like cold calling sales, any kind of sales of any kind, you know that making a phone call has a much higher success rate in terms of getting the sale than sending an email or sending a letter or sending a note or what have you. And so I actually remember I was talking to someone who they were trying to close the deal and they're like, I've sent five emails and I'm like, well, we'll call them. 
well, I don't want to call them. I'm just going to email. <laughs> and it's like, no, you need to call them. Get on the phone, give them a phone call, right? I mean, your email is going into the inbox of 20 million other emails, right? So a lot of salespeople know that if you can get someone on the phone, you have a much higher chance of closing the sale. Well, in the same way, Target knows that if I can get people in my store, I have a much higher chance of getting more sales from that person. So what Target's in trouble for is their mobile app will show a 10 to 20% discount on items when, and this is, this is all related to your location data, when someone is outside of the store, like at home, compared to when you're in the store, those discounts go away. So here's, here's what a typical customer will do. A customer will, will see on their phone that a particular product, let's say headphones, that headphones are on sale for $49.99. Well, then they'll go to the Target store and they'll see that product. They'll see the headphones, but they're not listed for $49.99. They're listed for $59.99. And so they're confused and they're thinking, that's really strange. And so they ask the cashier, hey, yeah, I'm here for these discounted headphones. And the cashier says, huh, yeah, I don't, we're, you know, it's $59.99. And then the customer says, well, I mean, on my phone, on the mobile app, it was telling me it was $49.99. So then the, the cashier says, great, show me. We're happy to price match that. Just show me. Well... <laughs> And this is what's what's screwed over Target is when you open the mobile app and actually look at the product when you're in the store, it's back to the original price. And so what Target's getting in big trouble for is this this uh, very uh, mischievous, to put it lightly, marketing method of we list something for because they're not they're not required to have the price be uh, they can change the price anytime they want. Right. If you spend any time in the supply world on Walmart.com, Amazon, I mean, prices are constantly fluctuating, right? So they're not doing anything illegal. It's just that when customers are outside of the store, they list one price. And then once they're in the store, they change the price. And it's all through this thinking of once they're in the store, they're likely to buy something. Now, it doesn't take any kind of like rocket science, any kind of any real hard thinking to understand that this is so, it's such a shady, slimy, mistrusting practice for your customers that short term, it actually may get you more sales, but long term, it's not going to grow your raving fans. It's not going to grow your business. And so I think if I was going to sum up, like, how do you actually, how do you actually grow that thousand screaming fans? I think the answer is just to be kind and generous and to care more about other people than yourself. I have one client who she is a phenomenal client. She's part of a major company, runs an awesome business. And, and it's, I feel like I can't, <laughs> I feel like there's always more business coming from her. I mean, she's always reaching out. Hey, can we do this? Hey, can you do this? And I'm really, it's even to the point where I'm not even really trying to get business from her any longer. But I think back to how I created that. And I remember there would be times, so I'm a coach. There would be times that she would call me and say, hey, is it, is it okay that I'm calling? You know, almost like, are you going to charge me? And there was time after again, after again, after again, that I would say, hey, yeah, absolutely call me. Yeah, let's talk about it. Hey, let's spend an hour and a half and let's just, let's just talk this through. And there was never a bill. There was never a charge. There was never anything that got sent in the mail. There was never a, you know, hey, I'll send you a chat, you know, anything like that. It was like, no problem. And now this person has brought me more business than a lot of my other customers combined. And so I think the takeaway is when you are kind and generous and you treat people like they're valuable, internal, external, it's really not that challenging to build your thousand true fans, your thousand raving fans who long-term do more for your business than anyone short-term ever could. 
And you know what, if you're listening and you're not a business owner, I think the same, I think that same concept is true for the value of relationships in your life. If you, if you treat people like they're valuable and you're generous with them and you sincerely want to show them that you want to spend time with them, I think the quality of our relationships are much greater. I was, I was reading a book a few weeks ago. It's called How to Win, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's by Dale Carnegie. It's a timeless book from years ago. And he's talking all about how you have influence as a person. Part of it has like a sales aspect to it. Part of it has a business aspect to it. But there's also this very true, like, how do you grow in your influence for people? Like where people seek you out and you have a level of, of, of expertise that people want to know about. And what's amazing is, is none of his advice talks about like reading books, listening to another podcast. None of it has anything to do with like anything academic-esque or like, or any kind of trick. If you were to summarize the book, he talks basically about being kind to people, showing them you care more about them than yourself, and being generous with them. You know what? And I think if I can just do the cliche, we should all do this line. I really do feel like, man, I, 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 the nature of our politics, our country, how we interact would be just so much different if that's the philosophy we had. Start working on your thousand true fans Start spending time with people and really treating them like they're valuable. And I think that the long-term result from that, it is so much more fulfilling than any kind of short-term game we can play. I hope this is encouraging. Thanks so much for listening today. As always, you can email me, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to get some feedback from you. And more than anything, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Take care. Have a great weekend. I'll see you.